Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Here with me at the podium is the Minister for Health and Social Care, who I will hand over to for an update on the latest COVID figures. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. The total number of tests undertaken is 52,379. The total number of tests concluded is 52,363, and that means we are awaiting the results of 16 tests from the lab. There has been one new case identified. That case is currently from an unknown source, but contact tracing is ongoing. That means the total number of active care of cases across the outbreak to 1,587. We have 13 active cases, two cases in hospital, one in ICU. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. Despite the emergence of a cluster of cases last week, which our contact tracing team have been unable to link to the last outbreak, the emergence of new cases has so far at least been relatively low. The emergence, however, of another new case that our contact tracing team have not yet been able to link to either last week's cluster or the last outbreak is a cause for concern. The contact tracing team continues to monitor the situation closely and their work to identify any possible links and establish a chain of transmission is ongoing. We will need to continue to watch and wait and we must remain vigilant. I cannot emphasise this enough. If you have any COVID-like symptoms, please do not dismiss them. Isolate yourself and others in your household and contact 111 for advice and to arrange a test, even if you have had your vaccine and have what you feel are perhaps only side effects as opposed to having COVID-19. We knew the virus would return at some stage, but we also knew that our response was likely to be different. That is what we are seeing now. It is important to remember precisely why we are able to change our approach to the virus. Why is it possible for us to move from trying to eliminate the virus from our lives to instead living with it as part of our lives? Our vaccination programme has been a game changer and our rapid progress has come at the same time as a significant reduction in COVID-19 cases in the United Kingdom. Over the weekend, we hit the milestone of having administered 70,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccine with almost 55,000 first doses in arms. The vaccinations will significantly reduce not just fatalities from the virus, but also the number of people who are likely to become seriously ill with COVID. In the United Kingdom, the rate of infection has now fallen below 100 cases per 100,000 people, which is hugely significant. These two factors combined mean we are in a positive position to change our approach. Last week, the second version of our COVID-19 exit framework was unanimously approved by Timwald. It sets out a clear direction of travel, mapping out a journey away from eliminating the virus to living with it. As part of this framework, we have a broad plan to loosen restrictions on our borders beginning this Saturday the 1st of May and running until the 28th of June when we hope to be able to remove all remaining restrictions. We will issue full details of our plans for the 1st of May in the next couple of days but I can confirm that we remain committed to a move from Level 4 to Level 3 of our borders framework on Saturday. This means that family partners and property owners will all be able to travel to the island. Shared isolation and households will be introduced 
and the period of isolation for travellers will reduce from 14 to 7 days, subject to undergoing testing. Those are the headlines, but we need to be absolutely clear on the responsibilities of the travellers and those in the households, so that everyone knows what they can and can't do. We will publish full details, and I do plan to cover this in Thursday's briefing. As part of learning to live with the virus, the Council of Ministers has explored options for how isolation requirements might work going forward. What we want to avoid is a lockdown by the back door. If we see an uptick in cases, we risk locking down a significant number of households through our current test, trace and isolation protocols. Not only does this risk a significant impact on our economy and our society, this approach does not reflect the policy shift from eliminating the virus to living with the virus. We must get the balance right and ensure our response is proportionate to our new circumstances. This challenge became apparent during the last outbreak when many of our services and those of the private sector came under pressure due to the scale of the isolation being required across our society. After careful consideration, the Council of Ministers has agreed changes to how isolation will work with effect from tomorrow. Anyone who tests positive for the virus will need to isolate for 10 instead of 14 days. An end to isolation will still be subject to a negative exit test so that we know someone with the virus is no longer infectious. This reduction in the self-isolation period also applies for other members in the household who will need to take part in surveillance testing. This change aligns the island with the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control and is still stronger than the measures in, the, in place in the United Kingdom where no exit test is required. The change here is simple. If you test positive for the virus, it is exactly the same process as it is now. All that is changing is the isolation period. 10 days instead of 14 days. As part of this review, the Council of Ministers also considered how isolation requirements might be adapted for high-risk contacts and their households. We agreed that, also from tomorrow, anyone who is identified as being a high-risk contact of someone who has tested positive for the virus but who lives in a different household now only needs to isolate for 10 instead of 14 days again subject to entry and exit tests. These high-risk contacts will also be able to leave the house for exercise once a day after they have received their first negative test result. Other people in the household of a high-risk contact will no longer have to isolate if the high-risk contact returns a negative test result. Vigilance here by everyone in the household of a high-risk contact will be extremely important. These changes come into force from one minute past midnight tonight in tomorrow morning and will apply retrospectively to those currently in isolation. After more than a year, these changes are significant. Something we have spoken about many times over the past 14 months is risk and balancing it. The actions we have taken to date have reflected the level of risk posed by the virus the risk to people's lives, to their health and to our health and care system, that level of risk is diminishing, quite literally by the day, as we get more jabs in arms. 
our approach to the virus must, must flex accordingly. The Council of Ministers feels that the changes to our isolation measures are proportionate. They still set out to contain cases of the virus and stop the spread, whilst seeking to minimise the broader impact on people and our society. Every change we make carries risk, but also should be seen in the context of moving forwards or learning to live in a world with COVID. The pandemic continues to present real challenges to us and we need to navigate a careful path through with the biggest picture in mind. It will, I am sure, take some time for all of us to adapt and adjust. I know there are a few topics that the Health and Social Care Minister would like to cover, so I'll hand over to David. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. The 111 team has dealt with many calls over the weekend where people have demanded new appointments to fit in with non-urgent travel plans and work commitments. We understand that people want to make plans, we all do, but please arrange your holiday or other plans around your appointment as the timing of the second dose is medically important. Getting as many people vaccinated with second doses is our way out of this. Please understand this is our priority for the sake of our whole community and to ensure we can all travel freely in the future. People who refuse or reject their second dose appointments will end up at the back of the queue potentially and may well miss out on the 12-week recommended interval for optimum vaccination benefit. Sadly, there has also been a number of cases of people calling the 111 line this weekend being rude and abusive. It is unacceptable for the staff on 111 who have been working hard throughout this pandemic to be spoken to rudely or threateningly and it won't be tolerated. All of the 111 staff are doing their best. Our vaccination programme is galloping ahead with first doses due to be done by mid-May. I also need to be absolutely clear people can't demand their booking is changed for non-medical travel. The 111 staff have a complex jigsaw to fit together, people requiring their first doses, the correct timing of the second doses, the throughput of our vaccination hubs and based around the supplies of vaccine that we receive. We have to coordinate all these factors to roll out vaccinations in a timely, safe and efficient way. In a mass vaccination programme, we cannot accommodate individual wishes, except in absolute exceptional circumstances, which will in the main be medically driven reasons. Also on the same note, vaccines can only be offered in line with supplies. A number of people have refused their appointment for AstraZeneca vaccine or cancelled their booking. This has had a real impact on our work at the airport hub over this weekend, where we had many empty slots and vaccines waiting to go into arms. Please accept the vaccine available on the day, at the time and place it is offered. I do need to stress people don't have the choice on which vaccine is offered unless there is a valid medical reason for doing so. We get our share of the authorised vaccines from the UK but not enough to give everyone a choice. So people, some people have specific medical reasons why they need one vaccine rather than another, but this would need to be raised by a clinician. Those under 30 will be offered the FIFSA jab where supplies allow in accordance with the latest advice from the JCVI. But also in line with that advice, where supplies do not allow, then AstraZeneca may still be offered. 
People who refuse their first dose of vaccine need to appreciate they may have to wait some time before they are offered another slot, as we are concentrating on second doses which need to be delivered within a specific time frame from the 10th of May. Both the vaccines we use are authorised as safe and effective. The latest research suggests that they are driving down transmission of the virus more quickly and powerfully than was originally hoped for. So having your jab of either vaccine helps you and others stay safe. Registration is now open for all groups. Please do so if you haven't already. There is no need now to wait for your invitation letter. Registration is crucial. It helps us match the supplies of vaccines we receive with slots, staff and facilities. We cannot waste the vaccine and we plan sessions so that this does not happen. We are now very keen to get all first doses given before we move on to the high volume of second doses to meet the 12-week interval. On the topic of vaccination appointments, vaccination appointments are being sent out via email to those who have registered online. Please ensure you check both your inbox and junk folders for this email. It is important that you, you, you click confirm my booking on the email to book your appointment. It is not a simple acknowledgement. You physically need to click into the email and click on confirm my booking. A prompt email will be sent if no confirmation is received after two days. Those who don't confirm can risk their appointment being given away to ensure no spaces are missed. If you can't make the appointment for an essential reason, please call 111 as soon as possible. I would also urge employers to permit employees to leave work where practical in order to receive their vaccination should their appointment coincide with the working day. The last topic I want to touch on is a bit of a myth that's been going round and I know has been causing some concern, particularly in the younger age groups, in relation to vaccination. And that is that's being circulated widely on social media, that the COVID vaccine affects fertility. This is completely and utterly incorrect. It has come about from a scare story circulating on the internet that claims the antibodies produced by the COVID-19 vaccines not only bind to the spike proteins of the virus, but also to something called synthetin-1, which is a protein that plays a role in placenta development. The claim being made is that the vaccines inactivate this pro protein, causing infertility. It is completely untrue, and in fact there is an abundance of reasons why it cannot be true. The first is, both proteins have very little in common. They are only 0.75% identical, compared to, say, drugs for multiple sclerosis that have an 81% similarity to synthetin 1, yet don't cause infertility. But one of the main things that shows it's untrue is logic. If someone catches COVID-19, they are exposed to those same proteins in much larger quantities than via vaccination. That would mean catching COVID-19 would actually create a huge risk of infertility, which it also does not. So sadly, this is another of those scare stories. And I would urge people that rather than using generalised websites or social media for their information, they go direct to reliable professional bodies such as the MHRA and the JCVI. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. Let's now move on to questions. And first we have is Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. 
Uh, good afternoon. Uh, it is a very short lead-in to publish the terms under which people can travel as little as two days before the border rules change on Saturday. Can you really expect any of the newly allowed people to travel over on the 1st of May if they don't know what their plans will look like? Well, we've already said they'll be able to um, isolate with family members for seven days, so that's um, a fair bit of information. The paperwork will be available in the next couple of days, but unfortunately, Alex, because of the outbreak, we've had to hold off a little bit longer just to make sure that um, it, it was ho it's hopefully under control and the data is improving all the time with injections for the vaccine and also the infection rate in the UK. So, yes, it is only a few days beforehand, but that's why we're announcing it now. The data will be there, but the fundamental part is you'll be able to go online. The form will be very similar to what we have now. We'll just be altering the compassionate bit to allow people who are family members, people who own property and partners. And <coughs> sorry, and that will then enable them to get their number and, and travel to the island. So you know you'll be able to quarantine with a family now for seven days. Um, you can have it. That's if you have the test. Um, and therefore, the change from 14 days to seven days should enable a significant number of additional family members to be able to come over and visit. And does quarantine completely end after seven days or is it on a reduced basis as it was last summer? It'll be on a reduced basis, basis as last summer. So you won't be able to maybe go um, to the, the villa or the gaiety and we'll be giving more details about this in the, in the next 48 hours. OK, thank you. Um, under the new exit strategy, which is now in place, how many unexplained cases in a day would you need to see to take any action beyond contact tracing and self-isolating? Well, it's always a, a number of issues, Alex. It's not just um, number of cases. It's is the hospital full? What's the capacity of our COVID ward, etc.? And and any other relevant detail that we that we we, we need to um, you, you know to take into account. So, and is it what type of case is are, are cases that we were pretty confident are isolated, or is it someone who's um, been into a I don't know a party of two hundred and, and and spread it and it's spreading all over the island. So. We look at all sorts of scenarios when, when we make our decisions and, and we try and give rough ideas on number of cases, but really it's, it's a much bigger picture, which I'll bring in the Health Minister to give a little bit more detail on. Yes, yeah, thank you, Chief Minister. Yeah, it's it's going to be a change of mindset, really, Alex. I mean, uh, you know, and I've got to get around that change of mindset myself as Minister for Health, because the focus has always been on number of cases, how many active cases we have, are they from a known origin or unknown origin? With mitigation and learning to live with the virus, that all flips on its head, because what matters isn't so much the number of cases, but as the Chief Minister has said, the type of cases. So, for instance, if you were seeing 60 cases on Ireland, which sounds like a very large number, a lot of them from unknown sources, but everyone was well within that 60, that wouldn't necessarily be a cause for serious concern. If, however, you had 20 cases and all 20 were seriously unwell requiring hospital treatment, then that's a different matter because that would then be causing issues with the, with, with the hospital. So as we go forward, it's not about numbers because in that scenario, you may actually have a stronger reaction to the 20 cases than you would to the 60. So it's all around context now. 
now and the background to cases and people have got to now get used to and as I say I include myself in this because I've been very much focused on stats over the last 13-14 months that we've got to look at the context and understand that there will be cases in the community there will be unknown cases but there'll be other drivers now such as hospital capacity. So is this a message to the public today really to effectively stop worrying about the daily case numbers and, and look further into them? Yeah, so I, I've put this message out since mitigation began um, in the interviews I've been doing. And I've got to get myself out of the habit as well that the driver isn't the number of cases. We will still obviously be publishing that um, as we go forward for now um, in terms of the number of cases that are identified. But that shouldn't be the driver for decisions anymore. The driver for decisions should be what the impact on the community as a whole is. Thanks very much, Alex. Now we move on to Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Fast am I. Fast am I, Chief Minister. We've been contacted by a few people in terms of the travel and it was in the framework about shared isolation and how that will work in terms of whether families will need to get tested or whether whole families will have to isolate. How are you going to be able to ensure that this doesn't become a two-tier system over the next few weeks for those who can afford to test their family and those who can't? Well, we um, hope to be able to announce the cost of the test will be coming down too, Sam, and that will be announced in the next couple of days. We're also looking, instead of having three tests, you'll be having a test on day one and an exit test. So that will only be two tests. So you could be looking at um, half, less than half the price. Great. And secondly, in terms of um, the exit framework, it's always been said that we are going to follow data and not dates. And several people have pointed out that for the past week, the UK's uh, case figures per 100,000 is below 30, which according to our exit framework would put us at border level two. So people are asking, why aren't we opening at border level two? Why are we going through border level three instead of following the data and going straight to two? Uh, the latest figures I've seen that are down to 42, but it's still very good. Um, that, that position, but we have to remember that we've just come out of a lockdown, Sam, where we had a significant over a thousand cases, and therefore we've always been a, a, about taking small steps uh, so we don't go backwards instead of taking a big step and then finding that we've got to retreat. But I'll bring in the health minister to expand on that. Yeah, the figures I think you quoted there are the seven day average. Some of the exit framework works off the 14 day average. The 14 day average, I believe, is 42 at the moment per 100,000 um, within the UK. The important thing is that we see it consistently. What we don't want to be doing, and we've designed this whole thing and the exit strategy around this, is we don't want to be bouncing backwards and forwards between the different border levels. Now, the UK themselves have said, and Professor Chris Whitty has put out of many press conferences, that while things are starting to stabilise, they can't say with any certainty they're going to remain there and they're not going to see a bounce back up. Now, the last thing we would want to do here on Ireland is, we, is go off the data there and say, right, you've got that level, so we're going to go to two then two weeks later we're turning around and saying actually the data's gone the other way we're rolling it back up to three we need to be confident that we're in a period where we can sustain our border levels because bouncing up and down between the levels not only gets confusing but it's not a benefit for anyone either if people haven't got that level of certainty so we do work off the data but we need to have long-term data as well to ensure that we are confident that the levels here on Ireland are stabilised and the levels in the UK are stabilised as well. But it's fair to say Sam it'll only be hopefully fingers crossed four weeks apart before um, between the two levels so if everything carries on in, in the good frame that it's going but thanks very much Sam we now move on to Helen McKenna from Marlon Man newspapers good afternoon Helen fast am I 
Good afternoon, Chief Minister and Health Minister. Um, the first question is for the Chief Minister. At what point will the Isle of Man eventually stop asking people returning to the island to self-isolate 14 days if they've got COVID? Well, you uh, travelling with COVID, you, you're not allowed to. We're moving, if you test for COVID on, on day one, you're going from 14 days down to 10. And we're hopeful that in by the end of June, if um, we've got all the vaccinations of, of all the key areas and the second vaccination, then it may well be we'll be down to just one test and, and no isolation unless you test um, positive. Or um, we'll just be doing testing, random testing in the community, depending on how the um, case number of cases are in, in, in the United Kingdom and further afield, and the type of variants that are about. These are all unknowns, but we, we have that strategy going forward. So I look forward to a day when we don't have to have people isolating, that we can do a quick test, or um, it's so good that we've got everyone vaccinated that we don't need to worry to the extent, and we just do um, ad-lib tests every now and then. But we, we keep, we, we're moving in a steady, good position. We're now announcing that from the 1st of May, family, partners and property-owning um, people can come to the island. Another four weeks, I sincerely hope we can move to, uh, to the next level. And so we're, 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 there is light at the end of the tunnel, and um, I, I really hope that we can get there as soon as possible. But we have to do it right. We have to make sure all our systems are in place to, to make it work. Because as the health minister said, we don't want to go back in just a very short period of time, Helen. Okay, thank you. My second question is probably, again, for yourself, Chief Minister. Uh, is the government going to publish a reader-friendly exit framework? in the courier, for example, um, that, that explains visitor rules and just stuff is quite, you know, lengthy, as I'm sure you're aware, and it has a lot of information. So just something that is simpler to read for people. Yeah, absolutely, Helen. I'm a big fan and KISS, keeping it simple. And it, I know the comms team at the moment are working on... Um, with, with a group to um, simplify the program. Not everyone lives and breathes this topic like myself and the health minister, and I get that. And I'm not an expert in, in other people's trades, so it's really important that we do manage to get the information out there in, into a simple language that people understand that it's dead easy to, to pick up on. So that's really important, and yes, we, we recognise that, Helen, and we're working on it as we speak. We appear to have um, lost Helen. I'm afraid she's frozen on that, so we better move on to Rob Pritchard from 3FM. Good afternoon, Rob. Faster my. Faster my, Chief Minister. My first question, just for a bit of clarity about the upcoming um, isolation changes um, someone has asked us. It's two-pronged, this one. Um, first of all, obviously, 10 days it'll be if someone tests positive as of tomorrow. But what about for someone who tests negative, who's potentially gone into... 111 to report symptoms and also and I know you briefly did answer this will people still have to pay for the tests if they have to isolate well well people um if you're traveling people will need to pay for the test but we'll be announcing a significant reduction and there'll only be the two tests instead of three tests going forward so there will be a significant reduction in the cost to people going forward will be just um but the, the other element david do you want to answer that one yeah, so in terms of the other element, um, Rob, the process remains the same for those that, um, that have a negative test who present with symptoms. 
Okay, thank you. And um, secondly, on the same sort of subject, um, before the changes, obviously the system has been 14-day isolation, three tests. If you choose not to have the test, it's been 21 days. For those who uh, then have to isolate as of tomorrow and don't choose to take the testing, how long will it be for them? Will it be longer than the 10 days? So, sorry, repeat that again, Rob. I just slightly missed on that. That's okay. So at the moment, it's 14-day 14, it's 14 isolation and three tests are in there. If you choose not to have the tests, it was 21 days. Going down to this 10-day one, if someone chooses not to have the tests, will it be longer than 10 days? Yes, it will. Um, and we'll be making announcements around that. If people don't take up the testing options, then as per normal, it will actually be an extended period. Thank you. Right, I'm just checking to see if Helen's unfrozen to get her last question, to be fair to her. Helen, are you free now to um, ask your second question? Uh, no, it's okay. Um, I think that was actually my second one, so <laughs> don't worry. That's oh, fine. Thank okay, you. right. Okay, Rob, um, now we move on to Tim Glover from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Tim. Fast am I. Fast am I. Uh, just returning to the subject of testing and the charging, the hospitality sector, as we know, has had a, a terrible year and they're looking forward now to seeing, hopefully, visitors in the not-too-distant future. Jersey government pays for all tests. There's no cost to the traveller. Isn't there a danger of the Isle of Man missing out here and not being competitive enough? Well, there may well be, Tim, Tim if that was our plan from um, when we open up to the public, uh, you know, the, the non-public coming over to the Isle, we will have to look at that. We are charging, um, we are looking at charging a, a much reduced amount. It's the cost of the, of the actual buying the test itself. And um, it's going from three tests down to two. But I, I, I hope, without giving too much away, that when we have visitors coming on holiday to the Isle of Man, that they will not be charged for a test. That said, I would point out that a colleague was saying that their son was having to have a test done in the United Kingdom um, for um, university reasons, and they've just paid £120 for one test in the United Kingdom. So there are an awful lot of jurisdictions that charge, Guernsey charge for all their tests too, but obviously we're cognizant of that. And of course, uh, it's important that we ensure that people aren't put off coming to the island when it's a tourism sector. So the sooner we can get to that, the better. But as I say, on Thursday, I think um, the reduction in, in fees will be announced. And as I say, there'll only be two tests instead of three. So people will see a significant reduction. And just people will be reticent. There will be those that are a little nervous about uh, these changes. Just for them, because the advice has been to make these personal uh, choices, and if they want to continue wearing a face covering, they want to social distance, how are they going to achieve that after the experience of the weekend where it basically seems back to normal? People are not socially distancing and in the main not wearing masks. Well, it's down to personal choice. People have to take responsibility for their actions going forward, for their own health. We are, we are still advising people that when you go into a crowded area to wear a mask. We are still advising people where possible to do social distancing when you're going shopping. So I know... But, we, but we, it isn't happening, is it? Well, we, we've never been able to force people to wear a mask, first and foremost, Tim. We have to learn to live with this, but we send out strong advice to people. So we are still saying... Where possible, if you're going into a mixed area, wear a mask. And I know the health minister will want to come in on this. 
Yeah, if I could, Chief Minister, I, I think what it comes down to, Tim, is not just making decisions about yourself, but also respecting the decisions that other people make. So if you do see people wearing masks who perhaps are trying to avoid getting too close to other people, people should respect that. They're following the guidance, they're doing what they believe is right for them, and people shouldn't be invading their personal space. And I, I think it comes down to a matter of respect for other people's choices, not just for the choice you yourself has made. That's how it is for me. We've got the guidance out there. We have said in enclosed spaces where there's poor ventilation, people should wear masks. Ventilation itself is key where people should consider the ventilation of an area before they enter. Um, you know, so, so as well as respecting your own personal choice, I think you should respect the choices of others around you as well. And I think that's a very important message to put out there. Yeah, if I can just finish on that, Tim, by saying some people sadly cannot take the vaccine, that their health does not allow them to be able to be vaccinated. And I would urge anyone, if you see someone wearing a mask, to respect that person and treat them with respect, keep your two metre distance from them because they may well be wearing a mask, not because they're concerned, but because they physically cannot have the vaccine and because of, uh, of a health issue. And we should really respect our neighbours and our friends all around the island when they want to wear a mask. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much, Tim. And now, last but not least, we have Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. My first question, if I may, is for the Health Minister. Um, in terms of the vaccination programme, and after hearing what you said today, does the decision of several hundred people not to take up the offer of the AstraZeneca jab not mean that the second dose dates for some others could be accelerated? And how many refusals have there actually been to date? Well, we, we won't be um, accelerating doses, Simon, because the medical opinion is that the 12 weeks is the appropriate mark um, to do that. And we've also, if you remember, put the 12 week in around the resilience of the supply because we looked at the supply going forward. Um, in terms of the numbers that have cancelled, um, I believe it's several hundred, but it's hard to give an exact figure because I know there's been many cases where people have cancelled, thought about it, and then come back and rebooked. So it's very hard to say what a true cancellation figure is because we have got that churn. Um, I suppose my key message is we do have to concentrate on second doses from the 10th of May. So it's only any supply that's outside of that that would then be left for first doses. So if people want, want to get vaccinated, and I would urge people to get vaccinated as early as possible, then they need to be registered and in the system really, I would say, by the start of May in order that they can be called forward because they do need to expect that if they change their mind after the 10th of May, because of our priority around second doses, there will actually be a delay potentially up to August um, before they can be vaccinated. So my message to all age groups is to come forward that are where the vaccine is available to, to come forward now, um, get yourself in the system, get yourself registered. Thank you. Secondly, I think it's fair to say that everybody is feeling a degree of COVID fatigue at this stage, obviously for some much, much more than others. Now, some time ago, I think we asked if there'd been a discernible rise in demand for mental health services. And at the time, there hadn't been. Is that still the case? And do you envisage a legacy problem in the wake of the pandemic? The numbers are still steady, is my understanding. Um, but I think most definitely, I think there will be a legacy. I think I mentioned the last time you raised this at a briefing, that what we saw after the main lockdown last year was that things remained steady. And then we saw the peak afterwards, um, where it started going up. And I think it will be the same situation again. 
lockdown and COVID has been exceptionally hard for an awful lot of people. And there will be anxiety about the release of measures as well. Let's, you know, let, let's not try and hide that. There will be anxiety around that too. Um, so I think we will see uh, more referrals into the services. I've got to be brutally honest about that. Um, and we will need to deal with that and ensure that appropriate help and support can be put in place for people. Thank you. And supplementary to that, uh, applying your personal judgment, would you say it's now likely or unlikely that the recent unexplained cases in Ramsey and today could result in a new spike in case numbers in the days and weeks ahead? Well, I, I'm, I'm not a betting man, Simon, as we know. Um, I like to take things cautiously. Um, I think we need to see where the data goes over the next 7, 14 days rather than speculating. Obviously, it's a case of concern that they're unknown. But as I say, now we move into the mitigation phase. It's not around cases. It's around what impact those cases have on our community. That's what matters. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thanks very much, Simon. I think it's worth, to point, worth pointing out that 94% of all our vulnerable people and rising have now been vaccinated with at least a first dose. 55,000 people have had their first dose, 15,000 have had their second, and that's rising every day, that number. And those are the key statistics that I think we need to take into account, that level of protection, and the fact that the United Kingdom is in a far better position than it has been for a long, long time now. Well, thank you all very much for those questions. That's all for today, and I will be back at the podium on Thursday to talk about our border changes. Until then, take care and remain vigilant. Thank you very much.